Why don't you stand before we open up the word? Let's just lift our hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Father, without you, I can't do anything, but with you, I can do all things. So, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Put your words in my mouth, and I ask that you would be glorified in this room. Thank you for the angel of the Lord that's here. Give people ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, in advance, let miracles take place. Father, everything that you've ordained us to accomplish during our time together, let it be so. Thank you for the open heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been uh, talking, and this morning, just as uh, I just went before the Lord, I just felt to kind of go back into this uh, idea. Uh, Friday night, we started off uh, laying the foundation of what God originally intended towards humanity. And we, we uh, looked extensively at Genesis, the first chapter, and we said that to really understand how God wanted to relate to humanity and how God wanted to function in the earth, you must understand uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So I encourage you, in your own time with the Lord, read that, ask the Lord for insight, and you cannot even understand the mission of Jesus without understanding God's original divine intent. And, we, and so we saw God's divine intent was not to establish a religion, but to establish a kingdom here on earth that reflected heaven. And we said that in perfection, the perfection of the garden was just the beginning of what God intended. It was, even though it was perfect, it was beautiful. And here's what's even more interesting, that all of humanity, because they're made in the image of God, because they've been, they, uh, they've come into the earth by God's preordained purpose, they long to return to that place in the garden. And humanity has created, since the fall of man, has created different philosophies, different ways, different forms of government to, own, to, to replicate what can only be found in the garden. I've been uh, privileged to be in um, former Soviet countries, uh, Soviet bloc countries, Latvia, Estonia, Moldova, particularly I go to Moldova at least once a year, and uh, in Romania, and I was teaching one night a little bit on this concept, and there was a man, uh, he's probably 60, 65, in the front row, and I said to him, were you here when communism fell? And he said, yes, and without solicitation, he said, but it never became what we thought it would be. And humanity is longing for what can only be found in the kingdom of God. And so uh, I want to continue along this lines. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Paul. If you pull up uh, Matthew, the fourth chapter. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Matthew, chapter four. Let's look at verse seven. Excuse me, 17. <laughs> Looking at the wrong place. Yeah, that's not the right place. Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, which we know is change the way you think, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
This is uh, obviously the beginning of Jesus' preaching. So it's the foundation of Jesus' message. It's the, there's there's a, a law in biblical interpretation. We call it the law of first mention. So the law, the, the law of first mention applies here because this is the first thing that Jesus taught. Jesus taught about the kingdom. Jesus modeled the kingdom. Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. He said, uh, so the preponderance of the focus of the preaching and teaching of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was the kingdom of God. Also, the focus of his discipleship, of his disciples, was not on going to heaven. It's quiet when you say that. It was, the focus was on learning to have victory in the earth. Now, I do want to say, there is a measure, obviously, of the kingdom of God now, but Hebraically, this was the thought of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God breaks into the present age, and we have a, we have a taste of the age to come. The writer of Hebrews said, the, the Holy Spirit is the power of the age to come. So there is a measure of the kingdom that is not here yet that we will inherit, but there is a measure that we get to inherit right here, right now, and the, and the, um, and the breaking in of eternity that we will inherit, we get, to live into, we get to live in right now. That's why the Apostle Paul taught us, we are seated in heavenly places right now, not in the future. Jesus taught us, John 17, 3, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. He doesn't say eternal life is when you get to heaven. He said eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. So what happens? You get born again. Your spirit, your spirit gets born again. You connect with God in heaven. He invites you into that honored place of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. You get to be in that community that though you're on the earth, you get to see the earth a different way. Unless you are born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So one of your privileges and one of the honors that you have is that you get to see the world differently. Now, the kingdom of God is extremely important, and there was a reason that I started in Genesis 1 the other night, is this. The kingdom of God was supposed to run the world. That's why you're supposed to, it's really, really, really important to discover your purpose. Because when you live your purpose by seeking the kingdom of God first, and you live out the assignment that God has given you, you're supposed to stand out and have an excellent spirit to point people to God. There is no such thing as mediocre in the Bible. In fact, I don't think I've ever given someone a prophetic word that goes, yes, the Lord would tell you, you're going to be average. <laughs> the return on your harvest is going to be average. And you're going to have a healing ministry, but you're probably only going to get some backs healed. It's going to be really amazing. And you can have a middle class house. I mean, I've never told anyone that. Why? Because the will of God is above and beyond what you could ask or think. And so we looked at that the kingdom of God comes on the inside of you and you inherit this kingdom. We looked at this in yesterday's session. The kingdom is within you and that everything that you would ever need is already on the inside of you. Now, obviously, it doesn't automatically appear. There is a process which 
many Western believers don't really like. I, I always use this um, example that tomorrow morning I get on a Delta flight. If the man on Delta uh, or he gets on there, I just think, especially at 530 in the morning, I don't really care too much how far you're going, how long it's going to take you, just get us there. So I think it should be minimal talking, but nobody asks me. But if a man, get, if a pilot gets on tomorrow morning and says, hey, this is Joe, I've never flown a Delta plane in my whole life. But I got a prophetic word at Freedom Point that says I'm going to soar like an eagle, so I'm really thankful for Delta giving me a shot to fly this plane. I'm getting off the plane. I've, I've, I've often said I'd rather an expert in his field, thank God I live in divine health, but if I ever had any challenges, give me an expert who's an atheist than a first-year medical student who prays in tongues. Why? Because they got experience. Now, I don't have to accept everything they say, but just give me the expert. When someone at a company tells me I can't do something and I'm the client, I'm just not talking to the right person. <laughs> Give me the person who could tell me what I could do. So there is a process, but we looked at how the kingdom is within you and that how you connect with those kingdom resources is the gift of faith. And the wonderful thing about faith is faith, it, uh, God gives you the measure of faith. You don't have to have your own faith, but you utilize the faith that is on the inside of you. And the good news about faith is this. Your born-again spirit that has the faith of God on the inside of it wants to do everything that God tells you you can do. And it craves for supernatural impossibilities. And we saw that the unseen realm determines what is in the seen realm. And we, we, we saw on Friday night how powerful that the, your belief system is in defining the world around you. So the kingdom is on the inside of you. And I want to talk a little bit this morning more of how we connect with the kingdom of God. And we got we to gotta look once again at Matthew the 6th chapter, which it bears repeating. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first. Seek first. Seek first. Seek first. Seek first, not your career, not your family, not other things, but seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Within the context of seeking God first, your career, your assignment, your career, your, your, your um, everything that is, falls within those. Yes, you have to take care of your family. Yes, you have to be responsible. Yes, you have to find all that stuff falls under that category. I find even the last month, uh, uh, I have a few days off coming off this week, but in the next three months I have extremely busy schedule and I find as long as I keep this first, everything falls into alignment. Why? Because I'm not smarter than God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. All these things shall be added to you. You want to keep that as a life principle. You want to, lead, you want to lay that as the very reality of your life. That I will put God no matter what. I will keep God first no matter what. And here's what's very interesting. If you don't make a committed decision to keep that first place when fruit 
when favor comes in your life as a result of putting God first, if that is not the foundation of your life, you will begin to weigh in that place and you'll actually begin to put the fruit and the blessings of God ahead of actually putting God first. I've seen this many times. I've seen people, they're doing well in the things of God. They're living out this principle. And so what, what happens? When you make certain choices, there is a blessing that follows. So maybe they have a business or something that God gave them. God ordained them to have. And so, uh, you know, but they've been putting God first and all this stuff. But then they go, well, everyone else in my industry works on Sunday. So we're not going to be open every Sunday, but we're going to be open every other Sunday. What happens? They take out priorities. I'm going to give you two ways we connect to the kingdom of God here in a minute. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Look at, um, I'm going to connect these two concepts, but look at here to Daniel, the first chapter. Daniel chapter 1. Look at verse 3. I'll just read this, Paul, because I don't quite know where I'm going with this. I do know where I'm going, but I, I don't know how it's going to end up. So, The king instructed Ephesa, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking. Now, in my Bible, in parentheses, it says like Abner. I don't know if it says that in your Bible. <laughs> doesn't say it in yours you must have gotten a wrong version but <laughs> gifted in all wisdom possessing knowledge and quick to understand who had the ability to serve in the kingdom's uh, in the king's palace whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans and the king appointed them for a daily provision of the king's delicacies of wine which drank Three years of training for them, so that at the end of time they might serve before the king. Now from among those, the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hannah, Mishael, Azurah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave them names, and he gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hanai, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, Ezra, and Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed, big word right there, purposed in his heart. I want you to notice there that he's a young man right now. And I want you to notice, too, that uh, we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Notice that he's already made a decision of what he's going to do. His environment is not defining him. In this world, you have to, define, you, you have to decide before you put yourself in an environment or before you live in an environment that you are not going to compromise. I remember when I was in college, there was a certain thing that everyone else on my team was doing to, and, and really, they, they, were, they were breaking the rules because the rule was erroneous. But I had to decide, am I going to be defined by my environment or, does, or am I going to define my environment by God's system? So I want you to notice that he is not defined by his environment. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Verse 9. Now God brought Daniel. Notice too, 
that he purposes in his heart and then the favor manifests on the inside, on the outside. So it starts on the inside. He's already made choice no matter what. And you'll see it later in the book of Daniel. And you'll also notice, I didn't read this in verse 1, that the Babylonians had taken over God's people. The only reason they can take over God's people is because God's people are messing with the wrong stuff. The enemy, and this is another concept of, of the world system, the enemy has legal right where the people of God do not take up their God-given authority. So this is fascinating. His favor, we often hear about favor, and I love the favor, and I talk about favor, it's only the favor of God. But his favor comes from an internal decision. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So, let me hit two concepts here. First is, we, we just touched on, how do we connect with the kingdom of God? We connect with the kingdom of God by seeking God first, by making an intentional choice. That we, you know, there is no, there, there is no uh, sign that we get on the inside of us that goes, I'm seeking God first. It's an internal choice that begins to define your outside realities. When I was a, a, a child, my parents modeled putting God first. You know, some people go, well, you know, we, 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 you know, sometimes we ask that question, um, you know, are we going to church? That wasn't a question. The real question to me as a child was, how many services are we going to tomorrow? Are we going to somebody else's service in the evening? Or are we having our own service? There's a special speaker. So, and it wasn't a question. And because my parents were not my friends, they were my parents, <laughs> I never questioned it. I didn't ask any dumb questions. You know, that was a really dumb question. You know, do I have to go to church? My mom didn't say, if you're tired, you just go ahead and sleep, honey. So my parents modeled putting God first. They weren't perfect, but that was one thing I knew. They put God first. But I didn't just see putting God first. And, and here's another thing. When, when there was a, a guest speaker that was announced maybe five weeks before, Sometimes it was Evangelist Kruger. I didn't like Evangelist Kruger. I got very nervous when I heard he was coming because he wanted everyone to speak in tongues. That was his specialty. And I just didn't get it when I'm seven years old. <laughs> I was hoping he didn't come. You know? I wanted like the Bible prophecy guy because that, you know, that didn't make any sense to me anyway. And, you know, he didn't want to do altar calls and stuff. But they would say Evangelist Kruger is coming. He's coming and usually when they came... It was Sunday through Wednesday. Well, when I was really young, it was all week. But now, my parents both work. My mom was a school teacher, my dad was a machinist, and eventually real estate. But they didn't pick a night that they went. And if school had started, and we had back-to-school night, they went to back-to-school night, and then they went to the service. Because the pastor said, we'd like all the leadership to come to all the meetings. So they went. And if I had fall, if, if Evangelist Kruger went late, my mom would bring me to the restroom, put my pajamas on, give me a pillow, go, this is where you're sleeping the night. And they had to get up to work the next day. So they modeled putting God first. But it didn't just up there. I remember when I had birth, you, you, you grew up 
mid-80s in there. When my birthday started, I used to love, they'd have the number on the, on the you know, the, the birthday card, right? You're number three, you're number four. I remember, as far back as I remember, I used to like getting money, even back then. And my mom would count the money. And she said, oh, you've made $75 on your birthday. Now let me show you how this works. 10% of this goes to God. That is not yours, but you should give more. But that's up to you if you get to pick more. And they modeled certain things on the way to school. Before we went to school, God, uh, my dad would sit there and read scripture to us. And then on the way to school, we would listen to this man in New York called Dr. Robert Cook. And one thing I always remember, he would do a Bible study lesson on, on family radio. It was a Christian radio station in New York. And he would say, he's, his program is still played today. That's a legacy. He's, a, he's dead and they're still playing his program. It's so, so good. He would say, walk with the king today and be a blessing. Always remember that. And then when I get home, my mom would finish school and she would give us a snack. And then she'd go into a room and pray. And I knew. Unless the house was burning down, and she could probably stop that with her prayers, you didn't mess with mom. And she hadn't quite got the love yet, so this is how I'd hear her pray. She, I'd hear her pray because she was one of 12. She would pray for her unsaved brothers. Lord, deliver them of alcohol. Keep their families safe. Open their eyes to see Jesus. Then I'd hear her talk, pray for me. God, my son is yours. Make him miserable, God, till he serves you. Do whatever you want with his life. Sometimes I knock on the door and I'd see her just crying out to God. Why did I read Genesis, uh, Daniel 1? Because these guys are teenagers. And even though, as a whole, the nation has turned away from God, these guys show up in the king's palace and they do not compromise. The reason I, the, how, how, do, how are the teenagers know not to compromise? I'm convinced they go into the Babylonian system because they were taught by their parents. Their parents had taught them godly ways. And when they get into an environment that they know they don't need to compromise, immediately they go, we can't do this. This is not who we are. So, kingdom of God, putting God first, is in, starts in the family, but also... It, is, uh, it, it, it starts by putting God first, but it also primarily is supposed to be modeled in the family. I'll tell you this other story about my dad. My dad was a machinist. I think I was maybe nine years old, and um, he, was, he had a very decent job as a machinist, and he started doing real estate on the side. And he began to do really well in real estate. And he's praying about, do I need to go full-time in this? And he's, he's working for this uh, Century 21 at the time. And when he's working for Century 21 at the time, the guy says, so what can I do to get you to work here full time? My dad goes, well, I, I, I'd like my own desk. The man walks out of the office, fires a guy, and he goes, you got your desk now. Now my dad had no choice. So now he's working full time. If you know real estate, especially in America, uh, late, uh, mid, late 80s during that time, real estate was booming. Tax cuts worked. Reagan tax cuts. But that's a different subject. 
one of the number one days people love to see houses is on Sundays. And my dad made this choice. I do not work on Sundays. Sundays is the day of the Lord. Maybe every now and then he would have an open house, but never, ever, ever during Sunday morning service. He would never miss. You know what happened to my dad? And people, people, the other guys in the office, how can you not work on Sundays? This is Sunday business. This is a weekend business, sir. Angel. My dad's name is Angel. He was a top seller at Century 21 for many years. Million dollar seller. He, he went in his own business. And he always made the pledge, I will put God and my family first on this day. He won't tell you this. He's still selling real estate. Right now, 70% of his profit is going to church planting. So I've seen this modeled for me. How do we connect with the kingdom? You can't go beyond putting him first. Not just putting him first, but we can never understand the kingdom of God unless we put him first. What's another way that the, the kingdom of God is spread? It's through family structure, family relationship. How do these guys know they can't defile themselves? Their parents have taught them. They've modeled them. You know, one of the greatest things I can ever say about my parents is this. Again, they were not perfect. They'll tell you their own mistakes that they made. One of the greatest things I can ever, I can't ever look at my parents and say, you did not put God first. If I chose to walk the way of this world system and serve the devil, it would have been my responsibility. Here's another important point. We're talking about ways, ways we can position ourselves to connect with the kingdom of God. A big principle in your life is this, is that in the kingdom of God, God is your source. God is your source. Live with the overwhelming conviction that God is your source. It's very difficult to change the environment of the world around you if you are going to the world to get your needs met. No amens for that one. Now, the place of employment that you may go to may give you a paycheck. That, that may be how you're getting your needs met. But you should go with the mindset that you are there as an ambassador of the king to serve those people to advance their purpose in the earth. Look at, um, oh, I'm skipping around. Got a lot of different places here. Actually, look, look at this. I want to look at this. This is really important. Why, why, why is it important that we learn to connect with the kingdom of God? Because the world continues to suffer when the people of God don't understand the kingdom that we serve. Look at Luke, the fourth chapter. Luke 4. Luke 4, verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up. This is right before Jesus begins his public ministry. Then the devil, taking him up, showed him 
all the kingdoms in the world in a moment of time. Then the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you in their glory, for this has been delivered to whomever I give it and to whomever I wish. So you'll notice there that in the Babylonian system, which is the world system, the world system has kingdoms and gatekeepers in, their, in those kingdoms. Just look at this last scandal that we've seen in Hollywood. Harvey Weinstein. If you, ask most, if you ask some people, most people will tell you they knew who this guy was and they knew what he was doing. But he is a gatekeeper on that mountain. And he gets people were willing, because there's only one way you're going to do certain things in Hollywood, so they're willing to give up their dignity, their, their this, their that, so they can play the game in that kingdom. That's why it's important that we have people of influence in the body of Christ. People of integrity in the body of Christ. People who wouldn't abuse women, wouldn't take advantage of them. But when he's saying this, it's maybe the first time in his life that he's not lying. Because he actually has legal authority to operate in the earth because Adam has given it to him. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. So I want to make that point that part of the reason that this is so important that we learn how to live out from the kingdom of God, to live from heaven towards earth, is that the Babylonian system keeps prospering and, and God is misrepresented in the earth. What's really interesting is um, verse 7. If you will worship before me. It's very interesting. That when we choose, when we choose to not align with the kingdom of God, we're actually giving our worship to Satan, even though we might not know it. If you, will worship, uh, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. So the world system prospers when we don't properly connect with the kingdom of God. So we have to make a decisive decision, number one, to seek God's kingdom first. The, we connect with the kingdom at a family level. These guys go into captivity. They come into an environment that is totally godless and contrary. But before they even get there, they make this choice. I'm not going to compromise. And that choice leads to them having favor. And God gives them fruit for their internal belief system. Why? We know. Rest of the story. They test them out. They go, you guys are better looking. You, got, you guys are, are way better off. You're, you're doing a whole lot better than these other guys. Back to Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Again, you're looking at his righteousness. Righteousness, again, is an internal reality. It is extremely important that the foundation of our lives is understood within the context of knowing the place that, of knowing the place and the position that God has given us, because the knowing our identity in Him is key to operating in this world system. 
Why? Because we'll see here in a minute with Daniel that he has an excellent spirit. How do you have an excellent spirit? The only way you have an excellent spirit is by knowing your identity in Christ Jesus. Knowing who you are. Knowing that your past doesn't determine you. Knowing that your previous mistakes don't define you. Knowing that you have, uh, you have uh, ability to access the throne of grace and find mercy in the time of need. Knowing that you have a purpose. Knowing that you're never without. Knowing that you don't ever have to be overwhelmed. But you are a definer of the world that you live in. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius, this is Daniel 6 verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 sashtraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king, excuse me, would suffer no loss. Notice there, I just touched on that point just a moment ago. That Daniel has been put in a place so that an evil man would suffer no loss. You, you cannot go to the world to get your needs met, but you must go as a servant of the Lord to be a blessing even to an unbelieving person. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and sastraps because an excellent spirit was within him. How is he distinguished? An excellent spirit. How is Notice too, he's in a position of power already, but it is a spirit of excellence on the inside of him that elevates him. Listen, the world is not looking for the next prayer meeting. The world doesn't care about your shofar, about your oil, about your shandais. What they want to know is, can you, can you bring a solution? Can you bring a help to them in the place that they're at? This is what's elevating Daniel. And the king gave thought to settling him over the whole realm. So the governors and sastraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning, but they could not find, they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was any error, fault, or found with him. This is, I love this, because the only fault that they find in him is that he prays too much to his God. What a beautiful thing. He doesn't talk about the king. He doesn't join in our gossip of him. All he does is he prays too much. Again, we're seeing that an excellent spirit is something that starts on the inside of you. How do you demonstrate an excellent spirit? Excellent spirit comes on the inside of you and it's by... You demonstrate that you have an excellent spirit because you do all things well and you do them all as though you would do it for God. I just made a choice a long time ago. If it's cleaning a bathroom, if it's sweeping something, I'm going to do it like I'm doing it for God. Go on in uh, Daniel 6 here.
verse 16. I'm picking up the story, mid-story, just so we could see this here. Verse 16. So the king gave the command and brought Daniel and cast him into the, the den of lions. But the king spoke to Daniel, saying, Your God, whom you serve, will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lord, and the purpose concerning Daniel might not change. This is Daniel when he gets thrown in the lion's den. Now the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him, and also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose early in the morning and went in haste to the den of the lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, said, The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, the servant of the living God, who has your God, whom you serve faithfully continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. And he said to, he said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so they, 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 have, not, they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him, O king, have I done no wrong before you. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found in him, because he believed in his God. Look at verse 25. Really, really important. Again, this is an evil king. And I love, I, love, uh, in, I love Daniel, I love the book of Daniel for several reasons, but I love the position of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's heart, and then Daniel's heart here. This is their position. They go, hey, if you don't bow down to this idol, we're going to throw you in the furnace. They're like, oh, there's no choice to make. You could throw us in the furnace. And we believe our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not bowing down to your idol. <laughs> Catch this last part. Verse 26. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the Lord, our God of Daniel. For he is the living God and is steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which will, shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Verse 28. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Your prosperity, our prosperity, is tied up in putting God first and never compromise. Amazing stuff. It's amazing because sometimes my experience is so many believers are looking for ways to prosper in this world system, but in the middle of that, they're compromising all godly values to try and do it. Well, you know, we got to reach certain people, and this is, you know, this is what you got to do to operate here. This is what you got to do to do here, and, you know, I'll never get in if, if I don't do this. Yet Daniel's prosperity was tied up and never compromised. And I'm not, what, what I'm talking about here today, I'm not talking about, you know, go in and slam a Bible on your, on your boss's desk and, you know, go, hey, you got to something, all this stuff. It's modeling a different reality for people. Modeling it from the inside out. Seeking first God's kingdom. And there is a, I believe that there's a elevation 
that God wants to give the people of God in this sense, that no one comes to the earth without a purpose. And I believe that there's a reason that God has been emphasizing this, 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 this thought of uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, because there's an expression of the reality of God that God wants to release to every sphere of society that actually transforms cities, regions, and nations. That's why what you do here is so important. That's why raising your kids in a godly way is so important. I was in um, Pittsburgh in January, and I was uh, ministering one night to leaders, just kind of uh, ministering prophetically. And one of the, I was ministering to this couple, and one of them had this, um, this uh, she was pregnant, and I, and I knew I, said, I just knew, but I asked her, I said, is this a boy? And the Lord began to speak to me about this boy that was in her womb, but then it became this word about a generation of Daniels that God was raising up, that he was requiring us to teach in the things of God so that, that when they went into the world system, they would know how to operate from a godly place. I'm a result of that. Again, not that any parent's perfect, but I'm the result of my parents putting God first. I'm a result of my, my mom's prayers. I'm a result of knowing the right thing to do in certain situations. It's really, really hard to sin when your mom prays like that. I'm not the worst looking dude in the world. I'd have girls proposition me and I'd see my mom's face. You want to hang out tonight? No, yes, no, what? I see my mom's face. Do you want to be doing that when Jesus returns? No, I don't. And I believe that there's like forerunners for this type of thing in the earth. There was a man named uh, George Washington Carver. He's actually from... Tuskegee, Alabama. He was a believer. And he, a, lot of, a lot of historical books don't talk about him from a, from a godly perspective. But he was, he, he's known as a peanut man. But he, he asked God. He said, I want to know everything there is about you. He goes, boy, you're too small for that, but I'll tell you everything you need to know about the peanut. 500 different inventions came from his understanding of the peanut. And he, he, would, he would call his laboratory God's laboratory. And he said, I don't go in with a textbook, but I go in asking God to reveal things to me. They credit him for revolutionizing the economy of the South because of the inventions that came from him. I mean, I, I read a list of them one time. I go, I didn't even know this came from peanuts. But what, what happened? The man found his purpose in the earth. See, what I've learned, it's not my job to change the whole world. It's just my job to change everyone in the sphere of influence that God has called me to. Like, it's not my job to, unless God calls me to do something in that area, it's not my job to take care of world hunger. Not that big, but it's my job to live out the purpose of God in my sphere of influence with excellence. And I believe that if we really live out Matthew 6.33, 
That's another part of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, stewardship is really, really important. And you get to manage your own hunger. Because God has this aspect about him called his holiness. And in his holiness, he doesn't give things to people that they do not want. Sometimes people ask, well, how come, you know, they love God their whole life and they, they never see miracles or healing. Well, they don't believe him for it. And if he gave it to them and they never did anything with it, he'd have to judge them for what they never did something with. So in his holiness, he doesn't give things. Think about this. Do you think God knows everything you have need of today? Ken, you think God knows everything you got need of today? Don't you? Yeah. yeah. Wake up, Ken. Did you get some coffee? Yeah. <laughs> So think about this. God knows everything you have need of. Yet he says this. Knock and it shall be open. Seek and you will find. Because for whatever reason, God loves this exchange between humanity and him. Where we go, God, really need your help in this area. God, really need your assistance with this. Really need this. Like, when you're, when, when, you're, when you're believing God, let's say for a bill to get paid or something, it's not like he goes, man, I didn't know they couldn't pay their light bill this month. He knows. But there's something powerful when you seek him. It's another part about connecting with the kingdom. is stewarding your own level of hunger. Only you can do that. You know, it's a very interesting thing I've observed. Sometimes we will host schools and events and you'll have these people. They'll drive 500 miles. Barely got any money to get there. They got their sandwiches and their coolers and they stay for the whole time. They stay till the last prayer, the last prophecy, and they want to double dip often. They're hungry. See, when you're really serious about something, it's no big deal. I mean, you guys see this here in Alabama. Holy smokes. Some people don't have money for groceries or they got money for their season tickets for Alabama. Why? Because they're hungry to see them. Something they value. And then you'll see people. I'm not, I mean, you got to work that out between you and the Lord. I'll go, hey, we're really sorry. Really sorry we missed your school this weekend. They're two miles down the road. Junior had football. Not hungry enough. Someone else will sacrifice to come to receive something. They live two miles down the road. I didn't know Junior's football game was all weekend, but that's a different story. <laughs> what am I saying? I, I'm not saying to you these things are wrong. It's not wrong. You know, if you go, go to the beach on a Sunday, God bless you. Enjoy your weekend. But it's when we prioritize certain things on a consistent basis, it really tells us what we really believe. But Jesus says this, and I'll close with this. To you, it has been granted to know the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. God wants to entrust a generation of people with the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That's why it's so important, that hunger thing, because 
it's, it's not that God withholds anything. But he wants to, I, I believe he wants to entrust a generation of people with great power and influence and who won't have to take an Instagram picture of it every, at every turn. Do you know that there are people today, there are people today that I know that are actually influencing things that are happening in the White House right now. They get to pray with the president. They get to do certain things. But because they know that if they let everybody know what they're doing, they're totally done. They pray with congressmen. They, play, they pray with senators, people that you would know. They pray with them on a regular basis. But because of the position these people are in, they can't connect. They can't say that they're publicly connected with certain people. But they're influencing people. I had the Lord ask me, uh, he said, I'd like to give you great influence, but the influence I'd like to give you, you can't tell anyone about. I'm good with that. What if you told your boss or your supervisor insights into what could save the company a million dollars and they never gave you credit for it? We have to think about these things. Because I believe that's where God wants to position the people of God. Amen.